Hey everyone, welcome back to Today in Tech. I'm Julia Beauchamp and I am here with Mario Morales, the Group Vice President for Semiconductor Research at IDC. So thank you, Mario, for calling in and chatting with us. We are live on YouTube as well as on Computer World's LinkedIn page. So if you have any questions while we are discussing, please do let us know your thoughts. If you have any specific questions in either the comment section, if you're watching on LinkedIn or the live chat, if you're watching on YouTube. So Intel earlier, just about earlier this week, a couple days ago, announced plans to build and invest $20 billion into a new fabrication plant chip facility in Ohio. And this news is, it seems pretty significant for them to announce this while this chip shortage is ongoing. And then also this week, we heard from the Commerce Department that the chip shortage was really in dire straits at the end of last year with some manufacturers reporting that they only had about five days worth of five days worth of chips on hand, which obviously could have been could have become a really bad situation if there were any shipping or manufacturing delays. So, Mario, I wanted to sort of start off our conversation with that, with all of that sort of data as our basis and ask you, with all of that background, what is the significance of Intel announcing their plan to build this facility now? When you, when you look at the announcement, thank you, first of all, for having me in your program uh, once again. Um, when you look at the announcement, it's, it's sort of the second phase of their overall IDM strategy. I think earlier um, last year, uh, maybe just at the, at the start of Pat Gelsinger's uh, tenure at, at Intel, one of the things he announced was an IDM strategy, which was a reinvestment back in, into manufacturing. So they made some initial announcements, primarily in Arizona, because it was a, an existing center for them. Uh, and they, invest, they announced an investment of about $20 billion there. Now this Ohio investment in Licking County is also very significant uh, for two reasons. One, it's really going to be an area that will continue to um, enhance Intel's ability to catch up to some of the leading foundry companies out there. Now, the facility itself is not scheduled to be online until 2025, mm -hmm. and they're going to break down, break ground sometime by the end of this year, maybe a little bit sooner than that. But it typically takes about 18 to 24 months to build the facility. And then another almost a year to two years to actually ramp it up to its full capacity. So we're talking about capacity that really does not really take fold until you're looking at 2026 or 2027. So that, of course, will not alleviate the current situation that we're seeing in terms of the shortages. But what I want to point out just a, a is the fact that that survey that you just referenced mm -hmm. was actually done sometime in the summer and in, in the start of the fall. Yes. So I think the situation is a little bit different now. Okay. I think if you look at front-end manufacturing, for when you speak to TSMC and UMC, they've been raising prices to absorb additional material costs, but they're also telling us that they're getting closer and closer to where their demand is from their customers. And in most cases, um, when you allocate capacity from the foundries, you basically plan a year in advance and sometimes even more than that if it's very strategic. And so much of the allocation has already been planned. And, and some of these shortages are you're, what you're finding is, is more in channels and distribution areas. And, and those are the, the companies and, and part of the ecosystem that will continue to suffer because they just don't have the volume or the relationships that they need to have with the front end manufacturers. 
Now, that said, in our interview back in late October last year, Mm -hmm. we talked about the fact that we were seeing the shortages shift from front-end manufacturing to back-end services like OSAT, you know, uh, assembly and tests, right? And and also materials and substrates. And that's where I see the shortages continue to be very acute. And we're going to have to see some more investment this year. Uh, for it to hopefully come online in 23 for for that specific part of the supply chain. But I don't think the Ohio facility alleviates any issues that we're going to see over the coming year. It's more about the fact that Intel's making a commitment once again to try to become a leader in manufacturing and try to establish some of the newer markets that, that it's sending to support, including the foundry service business for them. Mm-hmm. And I, I remember that we talked about this um, previously, and I will link um, our previous episodes with Mario in the description in case anyone's sort of interested to see how this the chip shortage has evolved. But you mentioned, um, and thank you so much for giving that sort of brief, that, that not even brief, great overview, really thorough overview of where the chip shortage sort of stands now. So my next question is sort of twofold. Um, one, you, what is the current... I mean, outlook at least when it comes to like a, a potential end for this current chip shortage that we're dealing with. And secondly, you mentioned you mentioned that more investment is going to be needed to to ease this into to ease the chip shortage into 2023. And I guess and I think I asked something similar when we last spoke is that investment just straight up capital is that investment in talent to make sure that there's people that are actually working to for, for in assembly in testing or is that twofold i think it's 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 a combination of the two i and when you look at this what i what i meant to point out and i've said this before is that we're seeing some alleviation now in the supply chain okay. and the challenge still is that not every piece of the supply chain is efficient. And so as these parts that are available move upstream, it still takes some time to get to distributors. It gets time to be qualified and then ultimately making it to uh, an OEM that has to use these parts. But there's different parts of where you're seeing investment. A lot of the visibility really goes to announcements by Intel in Ohio or TSMC in Arizona or Samsung in Texas, because that's where you're seeing billions of dollars being invested. Totally. Now, when we're talking about the OSAT area, it's more like hundreds of, of, of millions of dollars or materials. It's, it's a little bit smaller in scale, but equally important because if you don't get the substrates, you can't really make the wafers that go into these leading edge facilities. And so what I think was going to alleviate the current situation will probably not end up being the big investment plans that you've seen announced. It's actually Mm going to be the incremental improvements that these companies continue to make in their capacity. And more importantly, I think what's, what's going to happen is that the the demand situation is also going to change. I mean, we've had a very strong run in markets like PCs and smartphones and communications and cloud infrastructure. Some of these areas will probably slow down a bit more, especially as we start going through the year. I mean, keep in mind that 2021, as uncertain as the supply chain was, if you look very closely at the growth rates of most of the semiconductor companies, they've enjoyed very strong growth rates. I mean, you're looking at companies that are growing nearly at 100% on a revenue basis overall, big names like AMD and and NVIDIA growing at 50 to 60% respectively. And, And so, Despite these shortages, these companies are finding their a way to, to continue <laughs> to perform extremely well. The only exception has really been Intel because, again, they've gone through some 
they're going through a very large transition as an organization. And they're trying to get back to what I think they were uh, before, which was a, a technology leader. And so I think this commitment to Ohio is, is one of many more that they're trying to make. Um, what's important to point out is that, you know, they're going to get access to a lot of land, uh, mm-hmm. a, an education network that is very robust, and then access to water, which is very essential for these large facilities. And then just again, the, the local economy there is going to be very accepting of, of, of what that investment is all about. And, and so I think Intel's trying to show uh, public policy that, that they're willing to make investments in the U.S., but at the same time, if you look at it carefully with the announcements, they're also de- relying and expecting to rely on the CHIP Act to support some of this funding that right. you're going to see in the coming years. And I think that connection cannot be ignored. And it's a, another reason why um, Ohio was chosen, because it's in the sort of the middle of the country. Um, and that's an area that when you think about all the economies on the East Coast and on the West Coast, there's a lot of need for more jobs and, and to take advantage of the industrial manufacturing legacy that that region has. And I think Intel's doing right by, by, by making that announcement. Mm-hmm. And I mean, what you mentioned about the investment in the U.S., that sort of harkens back to a little bit about what the Secretary of Commerce, Gina Raimondo, said when this survey, when these results came out just earlier this week, which is that there's she sees a need for the U.S. to um, urgently, I think was was the wording, um, invest and increase domestic manufacturing capacity and capability. So even though this facility in Ohio won't be complete for you know many more years, I think right now it's the target date is 2025. I know you mentioned you know 26, 27. Who knows? Um, it it won't do anything to alleviate the current situation that we're seeing here. And if the current chip shortage is you know, hopefully on its way out. I'm wondering that like is is the answer to preventing or combating another similar sort of supply chain disruption or chip shortage more fabrication plants? Is I mean, I guess the question is also, is there an answer? Well, it's it's always a challenge because I think at the end of the day, these investments are very large and they take time to proliferate in the industry, right? Mm-hmm. So when you make a, a commitment to invest, it's over the next couple of years. And so again, going back to the Ohio announcement, that's a decade kind of an investment plan. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, people are talking about potentially moving from 20 billion eventually to as much as a hundred billion because they have the room to expand. Yeah. So the, the challenge is that most of these semiconductor companies always get the timing wrong. And so I, I think that at some point in time, we will get to see another shortage. Hopefully it'll be mitigated a lot faster. I think it's just got compounded this time around just because of COVID, right? Mm-hmm. And just because COVID continues to, to start and stop and, and it does cause havoc around the supply chain. I'm more concerned now when I think about what's going on is, is, is more around labor shortages. Sure. Because as you start building plants in Arizona and you're building plants in Ohio, there, there's not enough talent out there you know, the welders, the construction workers, everybody that needs to be working together to build all of this out. So I think there's has to be more training. I think part of the announcement that Intel made was a hundred million dollar investment over the coming years to closely collaborate with the educational network that exists in that region in order to improve the talent pool that we need to have. But 
this announcement, like many others that will come, is big dollars, big investment. It has to be in collaboration with the public sector or the mm -hmm. government. And at the same time, it has to extend beyond front-end manufacturing because we still need to build out a better logistics uh, network. We need to build out transportation. We need to build out um, IP and design networks and sort of centers of excellence, just like Taiwan has, just like Korea has, and also China. If we really are serious about bringing back this capability and, and leadership into this field, there's more than just this front-end manufacturing. And if I look at it more closely at overall, actually over 50% of the value goes well beyond manufacturing. That Again, that's more on the de design side and IP side, and that cannot be ignored. That's another area that the government has to focus more closely on, and same with the, 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 the private sector. In, I guess when you, when you talk about these other, these other facets of the, of the supply chain that need to be focused on and invested on, can you talk a little bit more about what what that investment would entail? Like if, if you're saying, you know, the government needs to invest more into IP laws or what would that look like? Yeah, making sure that we have a, an existing IP uh, ecosystem that is favorable to companies that are investing and, and making the investment in R&D. I think also being able to collaborate with government on R&D so some of it can be subsidized, I think is very critical. And I think when you look at the semiconductor industry today, there are various business models. There's, there's the IDM business model, which falls more in line with what Intel is or a Samsung. There's a, a dedicated foundry business model like TSMC and UMC. But there's also these fabulous companies that primarily make the majority in terms of number of companies that exist both in the US and Taiwan and us in other regions. And that's where I think there has to be more investment because right now in the news, you see a lot of attention being paid to who builds a fab. But I think if we can also build design centers closer to the automotive area or the industrial markets in the US, I think you can accelerate innovation in those spaces. And I think as we look forward, I'm hoping that the government starts realizing that there has to be a very wide view of where the investment has to go. I'll give you one last example. When you think about front-end manufacturing, if you're building the and, and successful over the years and building chips in the US, you're still going to have to package them and test them, which means you're going to have to ship them back to Asia to do so, instead of having and building a network here and having it all done. So all of this will take time and it's more of a decade view and vision, I think, uh, for the government and for the private sector. Well, that on that note, then, as we wrap up, I'm just curious what your sort of views on the next, let's say, decade of the semiconductor industry look like. I mean, it doesn't seem like there's going to be any slowdown in demand for chips because mm -hmm. I would imagine that they're just going to be behind and powering more and more. I, I know you mentioned the automotive um, industry, and that's certainly an industry, a sector who has really felt the pinch of the um, of the shortage. So. Yeah, let's let's say decade. What what do you see evolving and or changing or growing? I think over the next decade, we'll probably end up seeing more balance across the semiconductor supply chain. What companies are going to do is not only, you know, especially in the U.S., you're going to see investment not just by domestic companies like Global Foundries and and Intel and Microchip and TI and others, Micron as well, but you're also going to see 
multinational companies like Samsung and TSMC continuing to diversify their own capacity network. And some of it will end up in the US, some of it will end up in Europe, but in general, we're gonna see more neutrality. And I think that will balance out the concerns that some of these companies have with China or even with Taiwan as well. And, and, and it takes time and it takes time, but, but what's important to, to note is that a lot of these companies always have to think about where the demand is going to be. And, and you cannot ignore China because China still is the largest PC market, the largest cell phone market, the largest automotive market, gaming. I mean, you name many of the markets and they drive a very large portion of, of the semiconductor industry. So at some point in time, you also have, have to continue to invest also in that region because that's the only way you really operate globally. And, and I think what you're gonna see over the next decade is just a better way, a mechanism for these companies to mitigate that risk. Um, I hope that you're gonna also see better trade and negotiation between these countries over time. Whether or not they're still gonna invest more organically in their own region, that's fine. But at the same time, this, this industry, like many other industries are global. And I think you're gonna see uh, more and more of that. I think there are a lot of different technologies like wireless power. Um, you're looking at battery technologies, um, materials like cobalt, aluminum, some of the copper, some of these things that are rare materials uh, in terms of our planet, they're gonna have to be substituted. So there's gonna be a lot of investment in material sciences so we can find the next conducting materials to really keep pressing on Moore's law over the coming decades. So there's a lot of different areas of investment. I do believe that the semiconductor area, area is still a key sector that's gonna enable a lot of different markets over time. Great. And we did actually get a really great question from one of our audience members on LinkedIn that I would love to throw um, to you just quickly. So yeah. this this person is asking sort of how, how does, how will Intel, just to use them as the example, but any U.S. Micron, any U.S. Um, manufacturer, any U.S. company, how how will they have to, how will they be able to, and how will they compete with um, lower overheads and labor costs in Asia, for example, where um, there are so many, where, I mean, Asia is such an important and critical part of the supply chain. There's so much talent there and, and factories. Well, there's two ways to compete. One is by getting support by the public sector. So there is some subsidization and that's what we're counting on, on the CHIP Act. Right. So that's been initially approved, but it still has to go through Congress. But I think subsidization is gonna be very key because that's the only way that you can. Uh, the second point is that when you think about labor and you think about a, a leading edge facility, most of these facilities are already extremely automated. And so I would say that labor is probably less than 2% of the costs uh, what you so you still are going to need some technicians, but it's really more around the surrounding um, or adjacent um, businesses that exist. You know the construction jobs, the the jobs on creating materials or or being able to build out uh, new substrates and new new areas. I think that's where you're going to start needing to see more investment by companies here. But I think to go back to the point, the question is subsidization is one area, and then at the end of the day companies are gonna realize that it's not just about cost, it's a, a, there's a strategic reason why you have to invest in this space to, in order to continue to foster the growth in areas like automotive and industrial. 
in order to support the government needs for security. Those are areas that you cannot really put a cost structure on it, but it's more about you're going to have to invest in it strategically. Great. Well, that was a great overview, overview, Mario. Thank you so much for calling in and joining me today. I think that there no was problem. some really great insights here and I really appreciate it. So thank you again. Well, thank you very much. Take and care. You too. And thank you all so much for watching this episode of Today in Tech. If you like this video, please give it a thumbs up. And if you were watching on LinkedIn, you can head over to our YouTube channel, IDG Tech Talk. You can like the video over there, subscribe to the channel, and hit the bell icon so you're notified every single time we post a new video. If you have any questions or comments or thoughts that we didn't get to or any outstanding questions, please do let me know in the comments below and I will do my very best to get back to you. Thanks again for watching and we'll see you next time. This podcast is produced by IDG Communications Incorporated.